Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and uh, glad you're here worshiping with us today. And we are, um, like I said, we're in a a series, uh, our Christmas series. And what we've been doing is we've been kind of looking at um, at stories in the Old Testament that kind of foreshadow that Jesus was coming. That when you kind of you go back to them, you're like, "Whoa! It's like it's like it's like God knew all along that this was going to happen, right?" And um, the thing, the thing, I don't know, I, you know. We're, I'm, I'm a kind of a pop culture guy, and it seems like like with there's there's this thing out there that happens a couple different ways. Like sometimes there's a, a TV show or a movie, and, and they have like one really good idea, and they put it all in the first movie or the the first season, and then it becomes really popular. And they're like, well, we got to make a sequel, and then it's terrible, right? As far as I'm concerned, The Matrix only has one movie. Like the sequels that they made were terrible. I, I take it back. I haven't seen them because it's rated R. But if, if I were, I would say that the first one was amazing and the last two, like, they, they don't exist. There's also this show, and, and you're going to think I'm real morbid here after a while, I'm talking about The Matrix now. There's this show, there was a TV show with Kevin Bacon uh, uh, about a serial killer. It's called The Following. It was really, really good. That first season was amazing. And I, I think, again, I think it caught him off guard. But we have to make another season, and it just, it, it just, it just fell off a cliff fast, right? But then there's some things, it's like you can just tell that they have this one really big story to tell. Now, one that kind of ended disappointingly for some people was, was the TV show Lost. Like, it was just really complicated, and you're like, where's this going? What's going on here? What's, how's this going to end? And then it ends, and you're like, uh-uh. No. They didn't. There's no way. They made this up, like, three years later. And so then, somebody like me, I go back and watch it, and I'm like, what? You can tell from the very beginning that they had this whole thing in mind, and um, the Harry Potter books are this way. The way the, the books resolve themselves in the end is like, man, if that's true, then there should have been all this stuff all along. And then you go back and read it, and yes, I'm a grown man, and I have reread the books. In fact, I've read these books more times than a grown man will admit in public. Um, you go back and you read it, and it's like, because I, I saw this interview once. She said that when she wrote the first book, she had the whole story in mind. I'm like, there's no way that's true. And you go back and read it, and, like, and it's, just, it's just everywhere. And um, the Bible is like that. You know, we, people, we, we, we talk about how that Jesus is kind of the, the culmination of everything that God's been doing up until this point, and, and it's real. I mean, you go back and you reread the Old Testament with Jesus in mind, and you just see him everywhere. It's like that, again, that God knew all along that this is exactly what he was going to do, and you see these hints of it, hints that you would miss, hints that his people missed before Jesus came. But now that Jesus is here, you look back, and, and, and it's just rich with, with, with imagery and illusions and foreshadowings of that this Jesus is going to come and this great thing that he's going to do for us. And so as we celebrate Jesus coming, which is what Christmas is about, we're looking back at some of these things. And again, the person who would know this the most, who would know the most that the Old Testament speaks of him, would be Jesus himself. And so actually the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a couple of references that Jesus makes about himself referencing back to the Old Testament. And the first one here that we're going to be looking at this week is in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, 
So the Son of Man, who that's Jesus, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So he's talking to his, he's talking to Nicodemus here, and he's talking to his followers who were there with him. And Nicodemus is this super religious guy, this Pharisee, who um, uh, you know knows the scriptures backwards and forward, and he's trying to figure out if Jesus is the real deal or not. And so he makes this reference to him that he would get. Hey, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, me, I'm going to have to be lifted up, and if you believe in me, you'll be saved. And Nicodemus knew exactly what he meant. You know who doesn't know what he means? Us. You know why? I've thought about this. Thought about this. This is, this is such a great little couple of verses here, but we don't, we don't really get it. And there's two reasons why. First one is this. It's John 3, 14 and 15. What's coming next? John 3.16. You just, if you're reading this, you're just trying to get to 3.16. I know that one. I know that one. I don't know what this is. I know that one. I'm going to get the one that I like with the sign and everybody knows I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to 3.16. So you just brush past it. And then also you look at this and you think, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. And I think our brain does a couple of things there. It's like, yeah, I, yeah, there was something. I remember something about Moses and the snake. And then you just keep going. And you think you know the story, but you don't. And it's actually, uh, and again, another good reason why. The story that he references is in Numbers. And I don't even have to ask how many of y'all have read Numbers. Because I know. And maybe, maybe, maybe if it's like in the first three chapters of Numbers you've read it. But it's like Numbers chapter 21. So you gave up already. But it's a great, it's a great story. And I actually do recommend Numbers. It's more than just weird stuff. There's actually some really cool stories. And we're going to be looking at it. So... Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. And so what's happening here is that uh, they, uh, Moses um, is leading the Israelite people around in the wilderness. Um, and uh, as is the pattern, again, make sure we understand, they've, they've, been, they've been sent out of Egypt. They're supposed to go to the promised land. They, 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 re- they reject God. And um, on, all the way at the very end of the, the promised land, they get there, they get scared. And so God judges them and says, hey, none of you adults are going to make it. Anybody who rejected me in this moment, you're not going to get to come. And we'll see if the next generation will be okay. And so now they're wandering around in the wilderness. And, um, and, uh, and so, so Moses is leading them. And if, and if you're familiar at all with the story of them getting to the promised land, wandering around in the wilderness, there's this pattern that just always emerges where something happens they don't like, they whine and complain and say, I wish we were slaves in Egypt again, and God gets really mad and they ju- he judges them. They say they're sorry, and, and it, there's, this, there's this pattern. And in this pattern, we have one of these stories, Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Which is an interesting thing, because I'm going to make sure we get into this. There's this thing that would happen to them every day, where this thing called manna would form on the ground every morning. And manna is actually the Hebrew root, no joke, is the Hebrew word for what is this? So they, that's what they called it. Like, what is this? But they were able to make food out of it. So this daily miracle is happening in their life where God is miraculously providing them food. A daily miracle. 
well, I don't, I don't, I don't like that though. Right? And so they just, they're just whining and complaining. Verse 6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then, when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So they're whining and complaining as they, as they, are, as they have been doing for years and years now to Moses. And God sends a judgment on them. He sends these snakes, these poisonous snakes. I, I'm sorry. Our Lauren, she's, she's real particular about this. The snakes are venomous. They're not poisonous. Poisonous is you eat it and you die. Venomous is they bite you and you die. Okay? They're venomous. My bad. I apologize to all scientists everywhere, including my daughter. The venomous snakes, he sends the venomous snakes out there and they, and they bite them and starting to die. And so they, they repent. And God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> I'll, I'll forgive you. But the only way you, 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 t- you get this big pole and you put a bronze snake at the top of it, just kind of set it there. And that way, if anybody gets, gets bit by a snake, if they'll just look at that snake, I'll heal them. And so that's what they do and, and that's what happens. And so this is the story that Jesus references. He says, man, you know, just like Moses put that snake up in the wilderness so that people could live, so me, the Son of Man, is going to have to be lifted up so people will believe and me. And so Jesus is referencing this. He said, this is a picture of what it is that I'm doing and what's going to happen to me. And if we look and we examine the story, there's some actually some very, there, again, there's some very vivid detail about not only what God does in Jesus, but really just big picture cover to cover, the way that God thinks about us and deals with us and deals with sin. And so we're going to look at a few things here that I think are really important for us to take in. And the first one is this, is that sin has short-term and long-term consequences. It's important for us to just kind of get that in our head. From cover to cover, beginning to end, that's what sin has, that has always been the case. This is kind of part of the confusion. Mark was preaching on um, Genesis chapter 2 and 3 last week, talking about the fall. And, um, you know, God said, hey, if you eat that, you're going to die. And um, there was a short-term and a long-term consequence to that. There was the short-term, the, 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 the separation of the death separation between them and God, the shame and the fear, and, and, and the metaphorical death of that. But then there's also kind of the long-term, the actual physical death. And then even beyond that, there's the, there's the even longer-term eternal death and separation that one has from God. And so that's what sin does. Sin does something to you in the moment, but it also has a long-term effect on you as well. And so, I mean, so, so for them, the short-term consequence is, I mean, snakes. I mean, that's just not great, right? I mean, that, that's bad enough. Snakes. Snakes that bite, that's bad. Snakes that bite and you get sick, that's bad. But there's also death on the table. And so this sin, this sin that they've committed against God has immediate consequences for them, and it has long-term consequences for them. And I think it's important for us to recognize that our sin has the same kind of situation. 
is that our sin has immediate consequences and big picture long-term consequences. Um, when, I, when, I, when I hurt somebody, when, when I lie, when I steal, when I do any of the things that I do, I mean, it, I, I pay a price for it. The damage that I do to the relationships, the damage that I'm doing to my own heart. I mean, there's things, I mean, you get caught. I mean, you know, some of our sins, I mean, jail's on the line. I mean, there, there are immediate consequences to the bad decisions that we make all the time. And there's also, we need to make sure that we're clear too, there are long-term I mean, Romans 6.23, which is kind of one of the pivotal verses in the entire New Testament, says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life in Jesus our Lord. And so in addition to stealing gets you in trouble, lying to your wife breaks a relationship, sin against God has a, has a long-term death consequence to it. And so God has made this clear to Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 2 and 3, he's making it clear here, and it needs to be clear to us. Sometimes I think that we can focus on one or the other, where we just, we just think that the only, okay, if, if, I, if, I, do this, if I do this bad thing, um, I, 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 mean, I have to clean up my own mess, but it's really not a big deal beyond that, and if I don't get caught, it's nothing. Even if you don't get caught, there's still the damage that is doing to your soul. But even still, there is a long-term consequence to sin. It brings death, both physical and spiritual death to you. And so we see this here in the imagery and in, in, in what he's communicating here to the Israelites in the wilderness with this snake. All right? So they're learning a lot about sin, and the sin has consequences. You don't just complain and whine against God, and it's no cost. In fact, the cost is severe. The cost is severe. All right? So then what does he do? They come back to him, and, and, they, and they, they, they're, they're sorry. God, I'm so sorry that I did this. Can, will you please forgive us? And God says, yes, I will forgive you. Uh, Moses, take a snake, put it on a pole, and we'll have people look at it, and that'll save them. Which is a very interesting thing to do. Because what he did was God made the symbol of the sin and the death he made that the object of salvation. I mean, I mean, God could have done anything. I mean, he's God. And it wasn't like there was some... He, making a bronze snake is immediately imbued with magical powers, right? He's like, uh, I mean, and it seems like kind of random. Oh, well, why don't, you just, why don't you just put a snake up on a pole? And well, you look at the pole. Don't look at the snake on the pole. Well, we'll call it good. And that, that's just weird and random. Well, why don't you just have them, you know, they hop on one foot and, and go, la, 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 and then, well, then they'll be fine, right? It, it's completely, it, it feels completely random. God could have done anything and, and made this, okay, if you want to be forgiven, you just go through these steps and I'll forgive you and you can be healed and you won't die anymore. But what did he do? Says, I want you to take. You're all being. You're being bit by these by these venomous snakes. I want you to take an image of the thing that is the object of my judgment, that is the symbol of your own sin. It is the thing that is actually killing you. And I want you to make a symbol of that. Put that on a pole, and then look at that. And then, if you'll do that, I'll heal you. So. 
you're there, and, and this has already happened, and, and the snake bites you. And, and, and that, that's a, a vivid reminder, right? That's enough. That's, that's a reminder. Oh, yeah, we still got these snakes. We should not have complained against God. And then to be healed, you have to look at it again. Now I look up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, the snake. The thing that I did, the sin that I committed, the judgment, I have to look up at that and remind it again of the consequence of my own sin. And so God takes this symbol, the symbol of the very sin and death that, that, is, that, has, that has wrecked them, that has killed hundreds if not thousands of their, of, of, of their friends. He makes that the symbol that you have to look at just to remind you again remind you of the severity of sin and the consequences that it has. And so he takes an object of death and makes it the symbol by which you can be saved. It wasn't, wasn't a happy thing. It wasn't a pleasant. It, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a dove. It wasn't, it wasn't a pretty bird. It wasn't a nice flower. There's, there's no hope in it. It's, 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 it's the destruction. It's the death. It's, it's a snake, for goodness sake. And that is the symbol that he used. You have to look at death in order to be healed, to remind you of the severity of sin, of what you've done, and the consequences of it. So sin has consequences. It has big consequences, both short-term and long-term. And then in order, and God forgave them, in order for God to forgive them, what he chose to do was to take that symbol of sin and death and makes it the object of salvation. And then, this is the most interesting part, right? This is the most interesting part. What God does is God removes the long-term consequences, but not the short-term consequences. He removes the long-term consequences, but not the short-term consequences. Again, if I were God, not if I were God, it's like, well, this is what I would want God to do in the same situation. Okay, so God, please forgive us. And God says, okay, I forgive you. What is the simplest, easiest thing that God could do to get rid of the punishment? Say it. Get rid of the snakes, right? Just get rid of the snakes. Okay, I forgive you. No more snakes. That's, that's clean. That's clean, that's easy, and that's... That's real forgiveness, right? That's like, that's like, that's like, that's like there's now, now we're done. Now there are no more snakes. It, it's, it's less complicated for Moses. It's less complicated for God, I guess. It's less complicated for the people. And it seems like a full forgiveness, a, a complete wiping clean of the slate. But that's not what God does. God leaves the snakes. He says, but, you know, but when you get bit... By these snakes, it's okay. You can look right here, and you'll be and you'll and you'll be fine. Like, it seems like a seems like an extra step, God. I mean, man, can we? Can, if I pray again, if I pray again, will you will you get rid of the snakes? But he doesn't. He leaves the short term consequences of the sin. Why? I, and, I, and I think I think it is perfectly reasonable. Don't let anybody ever tell you any different. It is perfectly reasonable to, in a in a in a in a respectful, thoughtful way, 
when you see things like this or you experience things like this in your life and you're like, God, well, well, but, 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 but why? Why would you not just do the other thing? Well, the reality of it is, is that if every time you said you were sorry for something you were done, all of the consequences of, that, of your action were removed, that would teach you something, but it would not teach you what life is like. You can add this to the parenting sermon from last month. Um, your decisions, man, they have real consequences. And, and it is important for you to know that you are not in some sort of situation where you can do whatever you want, wave some little flag at God, and then you, n- nothing happens to you. Your sin is wrecking you. No matter how many times God forgives you, your sin is wrecking you. And God, to teach us, to help us, to discipline us, to show us, to keep you from doing this again, is communicating to you, don't do this anymore. It has consequences. So that doesn't seem, doesn't seem, that doesn't seem real forgiving. Well, doesn't seem, doesn't, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just. I'm like, no, make sure we're clear on some things. Punishing you for sin is just, period. God didn't have to remove any of the consequences. Yeah, remove any of the consequences. This is the consequence for that. Yeah, I forgive you, and you still get the consequence. God is being merciful in removing one of the consequences at all. And he is actually being really um, good to you by leaving some consequences in place because hopefully you're going to learn something someday. And that you will, again, have this, this perpetual reminder that the sin that you're committing, it is, destro- it is destroying you. And so I get this question a lot. It is probably the, easily in the top three. I, mean, I hesitate to say number one, but number one question I get in all contexts all the time. Something bad happens to somebody, and they want to know, well, well, well why? It happened to me in the hospital this week. I was, I was there visiting a friend, someone part of the church, and this aunt that I didn't, I didn't really know is suddenly we're having this, this deep theological conversation about, well, I understand this, but why would God do this? And kind of this, this bigger picture question of, like, God could have made this simpler. God could have made this easier. And so in that moment, in the hospital, when you're talking to somebody, you know, they're not... What they're looking for and what they, what, what they want and what the actual answer is is a little bit different. And so you're trying to, you're trying to give them a little bit of comfort and say, well, you know, here's, here's, a, here's a positive that can come from it happening this way versus this way, but really we don't know. You're trying to give a little bit of comfort in the hospital. But in a moment of kind of theological clarity, the thing that we want to know, well, well I mean, this thing, the way, the, the, way, the way this person died or the way that this person got sick or this or this or this, why, why, why? Because the answer to that question is sin, our collective sin, has poisoned and wrecked this world. It's wrecked it. And there is death and destruction and sickness all around us. And just because in one particular moment you can't connect it to something bad that happened, we need to be clear. The more we sin, the more we are poisoning and wrecking this world that we live in. And God is making that clear. 
right there to his people. You need to know that sin is not the kind of thing that just kind of gets swept away. So I'm, I'm leaving the snakes. I'm leaving the snakes to remind you of that. I am offering you salvation through this bronze snake. But I am also reminding you of the real consequences of your sin. Please don't do this again. Stop hurting yourself. Stop wrecking yourself. Stop destroying this world that I gave you through your collective sin and disobedience. Please stop. But when it gets on you, look to the snake and I'll heal you. So what God does, he makes it very clear to them that sin has both short-term and long-term consequences. He makes that symbol, the symbol of their death, the symbol of their judgment. He makes that the object of their salvation. And he removes the long-term, but not the short-term consequences of their sin. And here's the kicker for all of us. You, you are snake bit, and you need to look to the cross. Every one of us here, we have been bitten by a snake. And the poison is in us, and we are slowly dying. Um... We may not have been complaining about God in the wilderness the way that they were, but we're complaining about God plenty. And we're doing lots of things that show that we don't really want to acknowledge or or worship God or really give Him the appropriate place in our life. And and we we sin all the time. And we're we're snake bit. There There is now poison. There is venom now in our blood. And we're slowly dying. And what did God do? He took a symbol of death and destruction and the punishment for sin, a cross, uh, a a first century um, object of execution, and put his son on there. He says that if, if you want to be healed, you look to the cross. 2,000 years later, and the proliferation of crosses and countrysides and necklaces and church signs everywhere. The cross has lost that, right? You don't look at the cross and you don't think execution. It has become the symbol of hope for us. But 2,000 years ago, that was not the case. Look to the cross. Man, that's how my uncle died. That's how my neighbors died. And the Romans, they just slaughtered an entire neighborhood with that for no good reason at all. You want me to look to that? Well, the idea is when I look to the cross, I imagine Jesus on it. And I am reminded, just like the Israelites were, I am reminded of the heavy cost that my sin has. It cost Jesus' life. And so what does Jesus say? We'll go back to it. John 3, 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. So Moses takes this symbol of death and destruction, saying, you look at it. 
and you'll be healed. And Jesus says, man, this is exactly what's about to happen to me. This is what happened to that snake. what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be lifted up. And I, will, and, I, and I will pay the price with this sin and destruction. And I will die. And if you will look to me, if you will look up at me and let that be for you, then you'll be healed. Again, of the long-term consequences, of the spiritual death and separation that comes. But the, the short-term consequences remain. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. Like, so, so what, what keeps us from that? What keeps us from saying, um, yeah, I'm snake bit, and I'm going I'm to I'm look to the cross. And I was trying to think a couple things. And I was trying to connect it a little bit to the, to the people in the wilderness. And the thing that I was thinking about is, is like, it's kind of a couple things. There's, there's denial and there's pride. So I say you're snake bit, and you can say back to me, no, I'm not, which is ridiculous. It would be just as ridiculous for you to say that to me as it would have been for one of them to say the same thing. You know, there's a, you know, imagine a snake hanging from your arm, blood's coming out, and things like, I, I think that snake got you. I'm like, ah, I don't think so. I wouldn't imagine there's anybody around there walking around pretending they didn't get bit by a snake. Maybe. There are a lot of people here that are doing that. Pretending that the poison is not in them, that, they're not, that we have not been slowly destroying our lives. But I think most of us are at a point where we recognize, yeah, I'm bit. But I think maybe it's a little bit of pride that keeps us I'm looking. And I was trying to imagine, I just wonder if there were people that were bit by the snake that because they didn't know, because they were too proud, because they were still mad at God for bringing the snakes in the first place, I'm not going to look at that snake. I just wonder that after the snake was built, I wonder if there are people who still died. Well, it certainly happens to us. God has brought the healing. God has brought the forgiveness. And we cannot let our pride, our frustration, our denial keep us from looking up at what Jesus did on the cross and being healed. So if there are any of you here, and I'm sure that there are, who are still just kind of holding back Look up. Look to this amazing thing that Jesus Christ did for you. And let that healing come. And for the rest of us, let's just deeply remember. That's what we do. That's why we, that's why we talk about Christmas all the time. That's why we talk about Jesus coming all the time. That's why we talk about the thing that he did on the cross. We need to remember. We need to remember the cost. And we need to be thankful. And it needs to be a reminder of what sin is doing to me and to this world. So let's worship and celebrate what he did. And let this be a reminder too, a, 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 a real sober reminder that the continued sin in my life is wrecking me. And what did it cost him? So let's have just some real time of worship and reflection. Let's, let's worship and celebrate and be thankful that Jesus came. And let's also have some kind of some moments of sober reflection of what sin did to me, what sin has done, and what sin is doing to me.
And let's embrace the healing and the forgiveness and ask God to continue to do a work in us, to remove this more and more from our lives. So as always, there's lots of ways to respond in the back. The prayer team has been back there praying for you. If you need some encouragement in prayer, they'd love to do it. Communion is there. It's a celebration and reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. There's lots of ways to pray. We have an opportunity to give. We'll be singing. Lots of ways to worship and respond and reflect. And let's take some time and do that this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for a random story in the middle of numbers that either we don't read or we just go right past. It's just kind of one more story of them complaining to you about their life in the wilderness. But God, I thank you for this one that so much more, so much deeper than that. And it is another incredible picture of the awesome thing that you did for us in your son, Jesus. And so, God, I pray. I pray that each one of us, none of us would leave out of here with the pride or denial that there is not venom, poison in us. We are snake bit. And I, God, pray that nothing would hold us back from admitting that and then allowing ourselves to be healed and forgiven through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray for spiritual renewal for all of us, be it for the first time or the next time. A reminder and a celebration of the sacrifice you made for us and a sober reminder of what our sin is doing to us each and every day. God, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for, God, that you are healing and restoring us. We thank you for your spirit who lives in us. And we thank you, first and foremost, for the life and the death that your son Jesus gave us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.